Hello and welcome to the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Do keep in mind that we have other resources and information available at our website. If you wish to hear other English audio messages, they are available for free at our website and also as podcast or iTunes. Just look for us in the Apple iTunes Store under the Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. Many people have misunderstood throughout the ages what God's true will for man has always been. Many people think that religion is the answer, which consists of practices and customs, a list of do's and don'ts, if you will. Others have thought that just being a good person is all that matters. There have been and still are so many opinions, but we don't need to guess. God left us His Word so we can know His true will for all mankind. And if we really look at it and understand what He says, it is the simplest thing anyone could ever think of, something so simple that even a small child could understand. And when we understand His purpose, His will, we can then understand the reason for everything in life and the reason for life itself. Please stay with us for the next few minutes as we look into what God's Word has to say about this. Let us go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord God, Heavenly Father, hallowed and glorified be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Blessed be your name, now and always, and forever and ever. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the forgiveness that we find through Him. Thank you, O Lord, that we can have eternal life through Him. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you please always forgive my sins. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I pray that you may please guide us that you may please help us to understand that you open our hearts and minds, O Lord, to your word, to your will, to your ways, Lord God, and that we may take it all in, Lord God, to just be soft and malleable before you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our scripture passage reading today is found in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 1 to 11. This is the word of the Lord. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread and also gave some to those with him which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to him, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. 
Were the Pharisees right in their criticism that the Lord was not keeping the Sabbath? Was he causing contradiction? To be able to answer these questions and to understand what the Lord was doing, we need to look at a few things in the Word of God. The first point is that the Lord did not come to do away with the intent of the law of God. It's impossible to believe otherwise because that would imply that he made a mistake with the first version, if you will. And if we believe in a perfect God, then we know that he does not make mistakes. And I can assure you that our God is a perfect God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20 tells us what Jesus himself said about fulfilling the law, where it says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So then, how can the Lord supposedly violate the Sabbath and say that he came to fulfill the law? One of the things that the Pharisees did not want to accept in general was the fact that Jesus was the true and only begotten Son of God. Jesus was and is God, plain and simple. And if Jesus was and is who he is, then he can basically do whatever he wants because no one can tell God what to do. It's quite ridiculous when you think about it that the Pharisees thought that they had rule or authority over God, that they could tell God what he should or should not do and try to regiment him on his own law. Jesus knew it all because he was the author of the law of God. Jesus was the I am that was with Moses in the mountain using his own finger to write the Ten Commandments. And Jesus was the one that prescribed to Moses everything that is written in the law. And so no one was going to tell Jesus what was or was not in the law, nor tell him what he had to do or not do, nor teach him about the intentions behind the law because he knew exactly why he created the law and how it needs to be fulfilled. And so if he prescribed the law and if he is the one that instituted the Sabbath as part of the law, just like he said, then the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. He created the law. He created the Sabbath. And so he can do whatever he wants, however he wants. And he does not need to give explanations. That's the first point. The second point is that God did not break his own law. And here's where we get into contract law. When there is a contract, especially when there's a complex contract, there are typically a set of priorities and procedures established in a contract. The law of God is a covenant or a contract between God and man. Within the provisions of that contract, God established certain parameters that set priorities. In other words, there are things within the contract that God made with man that take precedent over other things within the same contract. And so, if those things that take precedent are fulfilled over those things that take lesser precedent, then the terms and conditions of the contract are not violated and the intent of the contract remains intact. So then, what are the priorities within God's law or contract with man? The same they have always been and what Jesus came to ratify. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34, tells us this, 
Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that no one dared question him. Matthew chapter 22 verse 35 to 40 says this also. It says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So you see, Jesus did not violate the terms and conditions of his own covenant, his own pact, his own law, or his own contract with man by any stretch of the imagination. This is how we even justify what David did when he followed God's orders on doing with the Philistines and other enemies, along with justifying Moses and Joshua in the conquests that were made for the promised land. Moses, Joshua, and David were all under orders. They did not make these decisions on their own. God told them to do it. And so, even though the Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt keep the Sabbath, these terms do not take precedent over you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the greatest precept which takes precedent over everything else in the law. But let's look at the reasons for why the Lord was using the exception and clinging on to that which takes precedent. At the very beginning of our key passage today in Luke, the disciples had plucked the heads of grain and rubbed them with their hands because they were hungry. There was an innocent, sinless, and basic human need that was being attended to. It wasn't just because or for the thrill of it. In the second instance that we read, we saw the man that had his right hand withered. This man was sick, and I believe we can all agree that a person needs their hands. Having your hands work and for daily activities is not a luxury. It's a necessity. With his withered hand must have come some pain, even shame, along with the natural consequences that came along with having a very sick body member. So the healing of this man's hand also involved dealing with an innocent, sinless, and basic human need. Jesus was not doing things on the Sabbath that were futile or vain or unnecessary. Both him and the disciples were trying to meet very basic needs. And of course, the disciples were clear of any violation because they were doing what they were doing with the Lord's approval. I can explain this with something very simple within my own personal life. While growing up, my parents adopted a no-shoe policy inside the house, meaning that everyone should take their shoes off at the entrance. 
This was and still is our custom. We actually became quite dedicated to this custom after living for some years in the Far East. So our Asian folks that are listening will completely understand this concept. As a family, we adopted this practice because we thought it made a lot of sense from a hygienic standpoint. Just think about it. You walk everywhere with shoes. You have shoes on when you go to a public restroom or step in places where people's pets have been, if you know what I mean. And when you walk into the house with those same shoes on, you are tracking into your own home all that stuff. It made so much sense to me that I've carried on with that custom in my own house. So if you ever come and visit, you will be kindly asked to take off your shoes before coming in. And we will have some very comfortable slippers for you to use on your feet so you don't get cold and you can feel right at home. Anyways, where am I going with this? You can see that it is something that was given much thought and it is important to me personally. However, there have been sad instances in my life where my parents needed emergency medical attention. And so I've had to call quite a few times an ambulance so they can be taken to the hospital. In those instances, I didn't even worry about the no-shoe policy at home. When those very esteemed men and women came to the rescue of my parents, I didn't even think about asking them to take their shoes off. It was much more important for me to have them take care of my parents and help them than for me to pester them with taking their shoes off. I didn't care at those moments. They left a mess and I had to clean things up after, but there were much higher priorities that they were helping with and I was not going to bother them with a sanitary custom. My parents' health and well-being took precedent over anything else. And so, did I break my own rules in my own home? Not at all. My parents are much more important to me than the whole house itself. These were emergency situations where certain rules were suspended because there were greater needs and greater priorities. But quite frankly, if my house burned down, but my mother was safely out of the house because my father is with the Lord right now, then everything is perfectly fine. Everything else can be replaced, fixed, and so on. My mother's safety and well-being take precedent over everything else, especially in emergency situations. Isaiah chapter 58 talks to us about God's true fasting, for example, where he explains that certain actions are much more important to carry out than just holding out on eating some food where it says... Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say? And have you not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, and when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh?
Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry out, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so, we learn very clearly through the word that there are many other things that take precedent over others. And like that, it is possible through Jesus Christ to fulfill the law and the prophets. When you love God with all of your being, then everything else starts falling into place. And that all involves a relationship, not religion. God's intention with man has always been to have a relationship with him, starting from the Garden of Eden. That is why God made man. God's first intention for making man was for man out of their own free will to look for him, to have communion with him. That is what a relationship is. It's about having contact, being in tune with another person, sharing intimacy. It cannot get any simpler than this. If man would have had communion with God in the Garden of Eden, man would have never fallen in sin. But what happened? Both Adam and Eve drifted off to other things. Not even Adam and Eve were together when Satan tempted the woman, which explains to us how everything falls apart when God is not kept present in a person's life and when he is not an active part of a relationship. If a man and woman are both focused on a relationship with the Lord, then the relationship between them will work. Just like if parents and children are focused on their relationship with the Lord, then those relationships would work between themselves because they would all have the same intentions, the same goals, the same ideals, and so on. When people turn the things of God into a laundry list of do's and don'ts, where there is no first and personal encounter with the Lord, and when there isn't a maintaining of that relationship, that communion with the Lord after that first encounter with Him, then everything starts falling apart, starting with the most important part, the spiritual side. God has ultimately made love the basis for everything, and that is the type of relationship He has always been looking for with man. God created everything, including man, out of love, God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth so He could die for our sins because He loved the world so much. And what God is looking for in return is love. And true love 
ultimately is a choice. God desires for us to choose to have a relationship with Him, to make a conscious decision for Him, for us to be moved and persuaded to love Him because of everything He has done for us and because of all the promises He wishes to fulfill on those that love Him. There are incredible love promises made throughout the Bible from God to man if man were to simply return that love. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39 is just one example where it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this also, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. What is written in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is what God established since the very beginning and as the basis for all of the law and the prophets. And Jesus came to ratify and further establish through His life, death and resurrection forever and ever, where it says, now this is the commandment, and notice that he mentions it in singular form, as this, not these. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, and there it is again, singular, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This cannot be any simpler or clearer. God wants you to love him to love Him with everything you are for what He has done for you unmeritedly or by grace. And when you learn how to love Him, that you teach others to love Him, like your family and others around you, that these words be everywhere and in everything. He was not talking about the Ten Commandments. He was talking about this very first and most important part that is the foundation for everything. If you learn to truly love the Lord above all things, then you will truly experience what He has always wanted for you, a true, genuine, and intimate relationship with the Almighty of the universe that transcends space and time for all eternity. No one can love you more than this. 
God has always wanted a relationship with man. That is his true and perfect will. Satan and sin have always tried to interfere with that. God wants to bring us together with him, and Satan wants to hinder that as much as possible by appealing to the sin that is within us. Here is the definition of ultimate good and ultimate evil, which is what makes choice possible, because in order for there to be choice, options need to exist. The devil and sin are allowed to exist at the moment, so there is an opposite to God, so that there is a clear and distinctive opportunity for choice. If everything was good in this world, then choice would not be possible. But God has allowed for things to be the way they are, so choice is possible. Because in the end, a relationship is based on choosing to be with someone, no matter what. God did not make us into robots. He made us living beings with reason so that we can have the capacity to understand everything that is happening so we can then make a decision for him out of our own free will. God wants for us to decide for him, to choose him because we have been convinced by all of his actions for us. He doesn't want to force anyone to be with him. He wants us to realize on our own through His Word, through the promptings of the Holy Spirit to want to be with Him, to want to follow Him no matter what the circumstances, to ultimately learn to truly love Him as much as He has loved us. God wants what each and every person wants. Everyone wants to love someone and for that someone to love them back and that this love be disinterested. No one likes to be used. God doesn't like to be used either. That's the love that triumphs over all circumstances, all conditions, when someone is with you no matter what happens. God loves you in an incredible way, in a way that is very hard to describe because of our limited nature. I urge you to look to love Him because that is the fairest thing anyone can do. And when you look earnestly to love the Lord, then everything else becomes that much simpler and clearer. My question to you today is, do you have a true and intimate love relationship with the Lord? Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father. Lord God, your, your love is so great. And yet it is so immeasurable. It is hard to truly fathom what your love is. And Lord God, that your love is so great that you, that we matter to you. And Lord, we, we are not really that important, especially in the grand scheme of things. We are truly insignificant. And yet you look to have a close and personal and intimate relationship with every human being. Lord God, there, the words are just hard, Lord God, to express. It's just hard to fathom it. Lord, I, all I could say is thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for, for making us and for giving us the opportunity, Lord God, to exist. But thank you also, Lord God, for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for his sacrifice. Thank you, O Lord, because you gave, Lord God, your Son as a gift. Heavenly Father, you gave him as something that we can never deserve. No 
we can ever earn. Heavenly Father, again, I give you thanks for your love and your grace and your mercy. I praise you and I bless you and I glorify you, O Lord God. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that what you are looking for is for a true relationship with each one of us. That you want to have communion with each one of us. Heavenly Father, you want us to do life together with you. Lord God, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to understand that clearly, Lord God. Help us not to be blinded by religion, by rituals, by our own opinions, by whatever that may come, you know, that may just interfere, Lord God, between you and us. Heavenly Father, help us to be sensitive to you and to look to always get closer to you and to look to, to love you more and more, understanding all the wonderful and incredible things you have done, you are doing, and you promise to continue doing for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.